0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Vote Expressions. Today I have a special guest. Um, I always mess up with your last name, Julia Schaffner. 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 Okay, I'm sorry. Um, Ms. Julia, uh, please uh, explain to the people who you are and what you do.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I am a program coordinator in the Children's Division of the St. Louis Arc. I'm a long-time employee there. Um, The ARC provides services to people with intellectual and other developmental disabilities, birth through the entire lifespan, Um, and I'm lucky enough right now to be in our Children's Services Division and have been for the last 10 years or so. Uh, Right now I'm coordinating a couple of programs, one of which um, is the Capable Kids and Families Program. And it is a home visitation program working with families with young children, birth through about six years of age, who are experiencing any type of developmental delay and living in St. Louis City or St. Louis County. We have a library of therapeutic equipment that families can borrow from, and we deliver that equipment to the home and then pick up whatever the family is done using through our home visitation process. Uh, but that home visitation process at monthly face-to-face contact also gives us the opportunity to help families assess whatever needs they might have, uh, resources they'd like to be connected with, referrals, etc.
0: Okay, um, how did you get interested in in starting this line of work?
1: Uh, so I've actually been in this line of work for a really, really long time. Okay. Uh, started back in college um, I was, I, I, am, I have a, a degree in social work and um, started part-time with another ARC in a, another part of Missouri uh, throughout my, my last two years of college. And uh, when I was ready to move back to St. Louis. I had a family member actually working here and are working for the ARC, and um and just kind of transitioned into the st louis arc
0: okay um you talked about working for the capable capable kids program. How long has that program been up is is it uh, relatively new or has it been around for a, a while, and if so, what changes have you seen made to the program?
1: Mm-hmm. So the Capable Kids and Families program is actually somewhat statewide. It, the goal is to get it completely statewide, but the original program started in Rolla, Missouri, servicing kind of that, uh, that region. Uh, mm-hmm. they, were, they were growing so, um, so fast and, and so much that they couldn't keep up with their families who were wanting services in other parts of, of the state. So they um started looking for partners throughout the state to bring the cap- to replicate the program um into other other regions. And so we were the first expansion in St. Louis back in twenty uh sorry, about two thousand nine. Um two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Um and so we worked with them to kind of modify the program a bit uh to um Bring it to a more urban kind of of area, so they're a pretty rural kind of of setting. Um, so the com- basic components of the program are the same, um, but then we just kind of had to figure out how to service an area that has a, a much larger population yeah. uh, within kind of the resources that we have.
0: Okay, what um what was what what have you as as at least from your experience, what have been some of the um, biggest challenges that you faced um, as far as trying to I won't say advocate but trying to help other parents as well as the children
1: mm-hmm. so uh, we of course kind of see trends over time based upon available funding and uh, just changes kind of out there in, in the community mm-hmm. um, it I in reflecting back it always kind of strikes me as funny because we had a capacity of serving like twenty five to thirty families at that point in time. Yeah. Um and what we quickly found is that the um the need for the program far outweighed our capacity at that time. Yeah. And so we quickly developed a wait list for services and that's kind of been one of the um the hardest challenges to overcome is kind of how to uh, get families what they need if we don't have the capacity to bring them into the program right away while they're on our wait list um so we are up to serving actively 105 to 110 families now we've grown tremendously in that amount of time but um, the need continues, <laughs> uh, continues to grow faster than, than the services can grow. Um, so that's always really frustrating to receive a call from a family and you know that they um, are really looking to connect and really could use the resources and really could benefit from the equipment, but to not have the capacity to serve them in an active way through that home visitation process. Um, immediately so we do have um, we had a small expansion at the ARC within another division family supports Uh, we collaborate very closely with them Um, and there is now a family navigator in place to work with the birth through through 12 year old uh, family that that cohort Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been um, just so helpful for us to be able to have another resource at the ARC so that if we're not actively uh, Uh, enrolling them right then in capable kids and families at least there's somebody else who can kind of help them navigate all of the different systems that are out there and then as time goes on there's kind of this ever-changing funding uh, saga that goes on and so just helping families navigate through the systems that exist and advocating through the systems that exist, and you know, with legislators also to to change some of those systems or to um, be able to access the resources that they need to be able to support their child, because we know through early intervention um, that children then grow up and need less resources later on. So, yeah. you know, it's our belief that it's very cost effective. Uh, to provide those early intervention services early on, plus it's just the right thing to do, <laughs> right. in addition to being cost-effective, um, so that kids can then become as, as independent as possible.
0: Oh, sorry. Um, what do you think is, contrib- contributes to, uh, maybe not the lack of funding, but, well, okay, do you think that the, I guess, sudden boom, is kind of culturally when people become more, one, become more, I don't want to say accepting of disabilities, but at least coming to the realization that their child may have a disability and that this it doesn't carry the same stigma as it used to. Do you think they have something to do with the sudden boom or... Is it the fact that this has always been something that people have needed and it's just never been something that's just widely being talked about?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the need has always been there, um, but I also think that um, there are, you know, there, there's a, an ever-increasing um, percentage of kids who are now getting diagnosed with autism. hmm And um, I think it's, I hate to quote because I always get the numbers wrong, but um, uh, we know that more kids are getting diagnosed right now with autism than ever before. And so, um, and and we provide services, it doesn't matter the diagnosis, and actually children don't have to be diagnosed with anything, they just have to be experiencing a delay because in, in the early childhood sector... Um lots of kids don't have a formal diagnosis. So for our program, um there doesn't have to be a, a formal diagnosis. But we have seen that the numbers of referrals coming through for kids with a diagnosis of autism has increased tremendously in the last even five years. Five years. Okay. Yeah, about five years. Um and so i think part of that is definitely an increased awareness and then also um the um, uh, more awareness among medical providers in terms of the diagnostics um, that are being conducted or the screenings i'm sorry and then the diagnostics that are being being done um so you know i think the needs have always been there i just think that um you know overall the needs have been there um, but then it's kind of a combination of just sort of awareness, but then also the increased in, in, um, in assessing kids, particularly for, for autism.
0: Yeah. Cause I know when, uh, Daniel was diagnosed, I want to say maybe close to three years ago now, uh, thankfully he was diagnosed pretty early on or we were able to, mm-hmm. we had people who caught it, who noticed it before we did, mm-hmm. we weren't sure what was wrong, um, maybe he was just a little behind, but they helped us, and eventually we got him diagnosed. Um, Doctor Altman he told us, you know, there was no longer just autism, but autism spectrum because mm-hmm. it's a wide array of, mm-hmm. you know, of uh, symptoms as well as um, what's what's the word I'm looking for symptoms as well as um functions from mm-hmm. the kids from being severe to you know being able to function on their own mm-hmm. to the more uh severe cases to where they will always need somebody mm-hmm. with them um what are some how how severe are some of the cases that you deal with as far as the children do you get those children who you get with them and you're like, okay, they're going to need our services for the rest of their life or, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, one of the nice things about the Capable Kids and Families program is we do get to work with a really diverse population, diverse in all respects, Mm -hmm. um, by not requiring a certain diagnosis, um, we work with kids who maybe you know are, are just experiencing some fairly minor delays or maybe they were born prematurely but you know they're with early intervention they're they're catching up and then they're going to work their way out of services at some point or like you were mentioning maybe kids who um have they're they're on the autism spectrum but um they're what's being diagnosed now is like a level one which is kind of um uh, not needing quite as many services um, and you know while that diagnosis doesn't go away through early intervention and and the right supports um, the anticipation is is that they can they'll be able to live very independently later on um, and then kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum we serve a lot of kids who have some pretty complex um, complex medical involvement, um, as well as some kind of, of pretty significant developmental disability. Usually those kind of go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe a child who has a very rare genetic disorder, um, and there can be sometimes some pretty significant medical complications that, Are in in play there too um, besides maybe you know some social emotional learning kinds of of delays Um, so really we just provide services to such a a broad range of of kids and actually that's one thing I really like and um, it's taught me so much is that you you know uh, two kids with the same diagnosis um, are, are Completely individuals and you know, it's it's in some ways. It's nice to have a diagnosis so that you have um, Some frame of reference, but it, on the other hand. I always caution parents about you know any kind of strict label or you know setting parameters based around a diagnosis because it doesn't define the individual nor their personality yeah. nor the family nor you know anything else so yeah
0: what are some challenges that you've noticed um parents having to go through? I know um um as soon as we got the diagnosis um I think it shook one you harder, and one thing the doctor was adamant in telling us was that number one, this is not your fault. There was nothing you could have done to prevent this. There's nothing you know to quote unquote fix. And also um that your child is still your child. Have do you have parents who have come in and have um problems adjusting to whatever um I don't say disability, but whatever symptom the child may have, even if it is something just as simple as they're a little slower uh learning than others. It's like they may not be on the spectrum of anything but they're just they're just a little bit slower, and the parents are frustrated because they don't know what to do or have you run into any of those cases
1: Yes, um it's really hard, I think for any parent um to um, have you know whenever we we have a child um we automatically kind of start thinking ahead and start thinking through those different life stages and you sort of set this you know anticipation of what things are going to be like and i think anytime something comes along that maybe um, sort of derails what that anticipation is is going to be um, that can be just a very very difficult process for parents to go through um we always talk about that it can be kind of like a grieving process that this you know uh baby that you sort of anticipated having something if if your concern is is that they're not gonna be able to obtain whatever that is um, then, you know, it's, it's a grief, it's kind of a loss. And so helping families is just kind of walking with them through that process. And that's going to look different for every, every parent that's out there. And there's no right way, there's no wrong way. Um, but walking kind of that walk with them is, we always call it for ourselves, kind of a gift to be able to do that with any, anybody. Um, and just, you know, being there to listen and to provide resources and if needed referrals. Um, we also try to, through the arc, try to, um, host a variety of opportunities for parents to be able to come together, to connect with each other. Um, because that parent support we know is a really, really important piece for many, many, many parents that are out there. And and we always wish more parents had the time to take advantage of it. Mm. Um, because, you know, as a service provider, um, you know, our, our program only goes until about age seven. And while we are always available to our alumni families to help them through phone calls or, you know, occasional check-ins or whatever, um, the, the more meaningful relationship that those parents are going to develop are with other parents, yeah. who you know are experiencing some of the same things and can share resources, and so we we really try hard to offer opportunities for parents to connect with each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was talking with um my cousin earlier today, um uh, and about how one of the things that, um we talked about in one of the in the classes was that um for parents to not lose track of each other, to take time, um, for each other, um, because you, you know, you can't get burnt out trying, putting, putting everything into the child and you don't have anything left was that, and that it's just as important for you to get some of that quality time as well so that you can give to, uh, the child. And, uh, uh, we've, we've enjoyed all those, all those classes that we've gone to, uh how long have you been doing that the parent uh parent cafes
1: so the parent cafe efforts um those just started actually just a year ago okay. um i believe it was a year ago september was our first one uh so there is it, it's a it's a national model and so we i actually went through a training with a different team from the arc um and then that we needed to be able to offer something uh, similar for our team and for family supports and so then we organized another training for our teams to for our teams to go through and we were then able to launch in September so only a year but um, but they've gone really well we feel like Um, and so we're gonna continue the effort as long as there's interest Um, There are also a variety of different support groups and networking groups that um, kind of evolve and change over time uh, that are sponsored by the St. Louis Arc and often facilitated by somebody affiliated with us. Okay,
0: that's good. Um, What would be your... uh, I'm trying to think, uh, I would phrase this. What would be your, I guess, recommendations for... Because I know you have up to a certain age... Mm-hmm. for um, people looking for um, services after their kid ages up. I think you said um, the one division is from birth to 12. Mm-hmm. It's like, so how how old does the art uh, uh, normally stay with families and the children and when they do get that age, what are some other resources they they can go to so they can get services or get the the resources or help that they need.
1: One of the things I am most grateful for, whenever uh, I meet with anybody from other parts of the state, um, I'm most grateful for all of the different options that we have here in the greater St. Louis metropolitan area. And I know that, um, I know the wait lists are often huge for different services. Uh, I know that sometimes things are expensive and and beyond our ability to really access Um, but when you kind of look at like the whole picture compared to some rural parts of Missouri um, there really are a variety of different opportunities um, that often to meet really where families wherever they they are Mm -hmm. Um, it's just sometimes a matter of finding those opportunities (laughs) Um, and that's where we feel like we can often really support families for their entire lifespan. Mm -hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, we, we can take the time to research opportunities to keep educated because services and, and resources are ever changing and, um, and then have people available at least by phone call to, you know, kind of help people connect. Um, Now, that being said, we also have a variety of different opportunities um, for people well beyond their school years. So our newest division, um, which is called LAUNCH, it is really targeted for the transition age families. Um, So the like 16 to 24, um, it was identified by many families that, you know, as kids were, as their, their children were uh, nearing the end of their high school career, um, sometimes, you know, graduation would hit and then they were faced with the challenge of, okay, what do we do next? Right. Well, if we can help the family and help the the teen identify what, is actually going to come next <laughs> um, beforehand and put those plans in place then they will have opportunity increased opportunity then on down the road after graduation um, so that's been a really big area of focus for us in the recent past and um, and then we also provide services uh, through our employment program to adults um, which is supported employment meaning that adults can be um, linked up with an individual who will help them find jobs mm-hmm. and job coaching to be able to retain jobs and there's also some job training component to that and you know interviewing skills etc mm-hmm. and then we have alternative to work called um, community engagement which is where individuals who may not be interested in paid employment but want to have some kind of structured and meaningful Activity during the day, and they have a really strong focus on volunteerism. Mm-hmm. Um, so they access a lot of community, um, a, a lot of other organizations to go and do volunteer work. Um, so that they're giving back to the community um, with a staff partner.
0: okay and this would be the the kids,
1: the yeah. Arc, the St. Louis no. Arc. Oh, okay, does yeah, not okay. capable kids. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we also offer residential opportunities through um, through the St. Louis Arc. Okay. And so yeah kind of a wide variety of, of services and recreational, social kind of leisure opportunities too. Um, most of those programs don't kick in until at least age 16. Um, we find that, that kids are pretty busy and families are pretty busy with school. And then there are many other organizations that offer kind of those recreational leisure sort of opportunities for the elementary, middle school ages.
0: Do you, Have you found that... Um... But no, before I ask that question, let me take a quick break all right um what was I gonna ask um have you noticed with um with the sixteen plus age has that um has parents uh, mentioned that that is more difficult or is it just is it not more difficult? Is it just a different kind of challenge that people don't think for? It's like, you know, they were just thinking about getting, getting them to this point, And then it's, a, it's the thing of, like you said, they get to a point and then they, I guess, can't even comprehend the kind of help that they'll need going forward. Or is it just the thing of maybe the parents are nervous about actually pushing their kid out there not knowing because I know me personally one of my excuse me my for me my goal has always been to I want to provide Daniel with whatever he needs so that if God forbid something happens to me that he'll be able to take care of himself and he'll be able to that I would have Provided him enough information or enough encouragement so that he knows that he can do go out and do something for himself. So, is it just a thing of they're so used to being with them, and they're afraid of? I guess it's a thing of, for lack of a better term, how much rope to give. They don't want to give them too much rope that they hang themselves or whatever, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. You know.
1: That's uh that's always such a hard balancing act for, for all parents, yeah. um, but it's uh, it's always really encouraging, even when um, we're working with the family of maybe like a three-year-old or a four-year-old who um, says you know or, or um, recognizes that the the foundation. Building blocks that are kind of out there to um, really start encouraging because it's you know life and, and maturity and development it's it's not always like a linear straight line up you know no. there's always ups and downs and um, but you know the goal is that we are continuing kind of on that upward trajectory right. yeah. um, and so kind of recognizing how as a parent recognizing how all of those um those little things that we're doing when our children are very young are kind of helping them set the foundation to build up to you know whatever we are hoping that end result will be sure. um and it, it's it's terribly terribly scary. I think for a lot of parents to think in that mode, right. or to look at their you know five year old and try to envision them as a young adult having their own. That's just terrifying yeah. <laughs> for, for all parents. Um, but there there's a um, there's a um, resources that have been developed out of the University of Missouri um, Kansas City um, Institute for Human Development that actually offer some visuals to how to help parents sort of think in terms of sort of that it's called a vision for a good life and kind of how all of the different um, things that we're doing and the exposures that we're providing to our children now will help them obtain that good life later Mm -hmm. on or how things that we may introduce or that could be introduced to them, you know, by someone beyond uh, um, outside of us as parents um, could potentially derail them also from kind of obtaining that, that whatever Mm -hmm. that good life is, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's going to be different for each child and each family. but I think as kind of a community, um, people are really beginning to embrace that more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's, it's kind of a process that all parents, I think, have to go through. Um, but when you have a child who has a developmental delay or developmental disability, I think it can be really terrifying to sort of start thinking in, in those terms. And so we try to help you know, support families in, in doing that.
0: I know, uh, because it made me think about it. Um, There's this show, uh, I think it just recently ended, that Juanita loved, and she kind of got me into it. It was called uh, Speechless on ABC. It's about a family. I think the oldest son was somebody who, I don't know if he had cerebral palsy, but he was in a wheelchair, um, and he had a helper. Um, He had, like, a board to wear... It was like a porter and it had a bunch of words on it, so he I guess he speak speak through them. Uh, and it was a comedy. And it was a thing of I think it was funny and I think it was good and that showing that yes, he has a disability, but he is still a teenager. He's still, you know, he they didn't shy away from him messing up or him being a butt of the joke or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh the series in the series ended with him going to college or getting ready for college mm-hmm. and the mom not really wanting to let go <laughs> and I think he even had a yeah he even had a girlfriend at, at uh near the end and the thing of, you know, that, that next step forward and how does that look. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that I know I can't even think about how he'll be Daniel will be, you know let alone going to middle school let alone going to college mm-hmm. and just he's already so tall now and, <laughs> and I I think about the way he is like what would what would change for him um I've always um uh, never shied from being affectionate with him cause I want him to know that that's okay mm-hmm. that's okay for me to be affectionate with you to show you that I love you um mm-hmm. uh, I kind of reject the notion of, uh, dads and especially in, uh, in the black community, there's this, this thing about, you know, not being a punk and doing different things. It's like, no, I want you to know that I love you. Cause I, and this is the way we show love and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And that if somebody doesn't that, you know, to respect how they feel and, uh, because I think it's important to show that because if not, then you get a bunch of stifled people who don't know how to show emotion mm-hmm. who don't know how to show love or to accept it and I I, I want him to get that in because early on, he couldn't get it and I would say he couldn't get it. Early on, he didn't really show it and he would just seem kind of I guess standoffish and I guess that was because he couldn't really register how we were feeling or what was going on but now he is he's is very much spoiled with wanting affection um uh, what were some what are some challenges besides the um uh, the parents you know getting the child out there what some parents and you know this with the children um uh, as they got older uh, be it them integrating with quote unquote normal children or certain uh, or have you seen certain aspects that takes longer for them to get a grasp of Um, such as not having somebody hold their hand as much for doing routines or what have you
1: um yeah, so I think that um that's always kind of a, a challenge, um in that 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 balance and, and schools are constantly um faced with this challenge also and um and, and families as a part of that educational team also are faced with the challenge so um everybody needs support right we all need some kind of support um but there's also um if too much support is provided then we can create a dependency right you know um In having opportunities to be able to sort of recognize and then back off Um, because sure sometimes that dependency is gonna be there just because mom or dad just does it and they've always done it you know they've always whatever done my laundry and you know so so but then opportunities to sort of back off so that or get the child involved so that they can you know learn those those skills to be able to transfer on their own for when mom and dad are not there. So I think okay. that that tendency can happen in schools too where it's hard to know okay how much like para support does this child need to be successful? Mm. But then when is that when are we hitting that 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 line of it becoming a dependency on that para support Um, and when is that child going to be looking to that para for you know for refocus or whatever when they could really be looking at the teacher (laughs) and developing cues on their own so you know that's different for each each child and um, each individual situation and I think it's just something that um, schools and families need to be, and service providers need to be aware of in, and constantly thinking about hey, could this, you know, could my child do this on their own? It's always so fun like when I'm at a home visit yeah. and a family you know, like maybe I'll bring a piece of equipment or something and the, the parent will say, oh, I didn't even know he or she could do that, you know, and right. that's really cool because um, we're always learning more about our children, you know right. they're always learning more about us too <laughs> um so yeah, kind of that that constant yeah. balance.
0: Because I I know uh, but what you were mentioning. That's something that I don't want to keep using the word normal, but that's something that people who aren't who don't have a diagnosis have problems dealing with. Uh, you know, always being used to somebody being there and doing something, mm-hmm. and then having to realize, yes, they've helped me, but at one point do <laughs> they become a crutch, and so having to is when you when you do have those situations is there ever a conversation that you have with the child to because i don't i don't know if they even think about it like this but have you ever had a conversation with the child to let them know that uh you back in the way it's not like an abandonment or whatever or do you leave that to the parents
1: Um, usually in, in our program, we would leave that to the parents. Um, yeah, yeah. Now we do offer, you know, not, not for the, um, ages of the kids and capable kids, but as an agency, we are offering some classes, Mm -hmm. um, that are kind of those, you know, independence skill building, you know, uh, classes for the, you know, teen, young adult years, um, to kind of help help them because many, many of us, right? We often learn better when we are with peers of our age group, you know, or, you know, peers versus like when we're at home, like we're just a lot more likely to some of us anyway more likely to take direction from somebody else versus our parents. And so we do offer those kinds of classes, but the, those classes would be for, um, for people beyond our capable kids and families' ages, yeah.
0: have you ever had somebody that was once in capable kids and whatnot uh, come back and actually start working at the agency and what have you?
1: We have, yes, okay, that's good. <laughs> yes. In in the capable kids and families program, we've actually hired two of our alumni families, that's uh, good. parents. Mm-hmm. uh moms in both cases. Um and one of them is uh transitioned into that family navigator position um about nine months ago, eight, nine months ago, perfect match for her skill set. Uh Capable Kids was a perfect match for her skill set too. Um but that was a really, you know, amazing opportunity that uh not only for for her but also for all the people that we provide services to as well as for our program to have her expertise stay there and then um we have another staff member that came on a while after after she did um the first person um when we had our last sorry not our last opening but um the one before that okay yeah yeah oh, that's good yes yeah
0: um what would be, I know you were saying funding is a problem. What would be your, I would say recommendation, but what is what is something that you, if you could uh, get some advice to parents on how they could, uh, I'm trying to figure out in my mind how I want to put this. Basically, since there is, you know, there's a need and you know, there's a lack of, Resources, um, who would you would would it, would that be something that we would have to go to um, like a governor or a legislator about to say, hey, this is something that we need uh, to kind of advocate for more funding that way or because you're, you're you're a nonprofit, right? We're a nonprofit. Yes. OK, yeah. So they you would have to get what grants? Or how or how, how would you get funding yeah. like that? Okay.
1: Yeah, all of our programs are, are funded a little bit differently just depending on the, the program itself. Um so like through the Capable Kids and Families program, our families pay nothing mm-hmm. to um to, to have access to the service. So we are completely grant funded. Um and donations, you know, that, that come in. Um so and it, as a nonprofit Um, as all nonprofits, you know, uh, kind of leveraging our resources to collaboratively work together as nonprofits has been a helpful thing in the recent past, but there's still only so many resources that can go around.
0: Um,
1: so we always encourage, uh, parents to, and individuals when they, you know, get to be 18 and over, um. To educate themselves on all of the different policies, you know, get to know your legislators, um, and then advocate. Because <laughs> right. really, you know, advocacy is 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 what it what it takes.
0: All right. Yeah. Because of all the things that uh, you hear about, no matter what election year it is, you never really hear about um advocacy for funding for this type of things. Now it's something that's been brought up because of unfortunately recent uh I'm saying recent but it's been going on for years. Um mass shootings and people saying, well, you know, it's mental health. But then you don't see anybody pushing anything towards mental health or I- anything like that. There's been a lot of cuts. Yeah. And yeah. that is something that is of uh, uh frustrating Being a parent and knowing that if there's going to be a cut, more than likely, the cut's going to come to something that's going to, that would have potentially helped your son or helped your child whatever. And that it's hard, it's harder to convince people to give money for that than it is to even keep them from cutting in the first place. And, uh... I agree, and that's why I we appreciate the the uh, cafes and the opportunity to meet other parents and seeing and listen to them and hearing their stories. Um, and not just there was a comforting uh, something comforting to knowing that even though they may have more kids or whatever, that some of the things we're going through is still the same. That there is something and it's not just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to know that you're not alone uh, and that, you know, there could be something in gathering all those voices to maybe petition somebody to, you know, hey, not cut this. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: there, we're kind of in a crisis at the moment. Like, um in terms of um, direct support professionals that's been a big topic um, of conversation and acknowledgement um, so in all helping fields there's kind of a crisis right now so uh, you know there's a shortage of um, educators in certain places or there's a shortage of nurses in certain places or there's um, shortage of uh, personal care attendants, of um, direct support professionals, and direct support professional is kind of the position that would staff our um, residential programs and our community engagement programs, um, and it all has to do with um, uh, you know the the numbers of of available workforce, <laughs> right. um, and then the pay. Um, so, you know, and, and there is, there is legislative advocacy going on to, um, to get pushes through for that to be recognized on a state level and how do we kind of elevate, um, the, the pay and the recognition, um, for the direct support professional direct care kind of, of positions that are out there all over the place right. um, so yeah that, that's a big issue and it, it doesn't seem to be getting any better especially because you know there's with the, the baby boomers you know right. aging and so there's just more of a need for direct support kind of care for a wider right. <laughs> audience greater numbers of people and less of the younger
0: Age cohort to, right. to fill those positions. So, do you think one? Uh, excuse me. Do you think one uh, issue with fighting for funding is a lack of understanding of the problem, and of how widespread it is, and just an understanding of what uh, the learning disabilities the kids have, and exactly what it means to have that you know, the type of disabilities and whatnot, do you think that's an issue or,
1: um? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's, I think it's multiple things. You know, I, I do think that there's sort of, um, unless, uh, you know, typically, unless you're personally involved or touched by something, it, it doesn't Quite, we're, we're just humans, right? right? So it doesn't quite hold the same
0: value. Yeah, yeah. for
1: us, on um, the same value, or the same understanding, or the same, you know, recognition. Right. Um, and I think that um, as a society, when we value certain roles that people play sure. um, that that also can really, you know n- not only not only value but you know how do we support them to be able to right. um, support their own families right. And you know, until those, I think are really recognized, I, you know, not sure. And and then just
0: kind of the lack of general resources that are out there, too. Yeah. Yeah, because I noticed uh, this is Juanita. I never knew about how much teachers had to go through until Juanita worked in the school system. And I, you know, saw how much we had to spend some of our own money, you know, maybe not even get that back on different things that she had to do for the students and how difficult a teacher's job is. And it's one of those things to where they, there's a lot of responsibility put on them, mm. and a lot of expectation. But then the pay doesn't match, the pay doesn't match the level of expectation that's placed on them. It's like you know, the teacher should do this, this, and this. However, we're not paying them as if the job is as important as we say it is. Mm-hmm. So I, I greatly understand that to where this is something that's important, and until people actually are aware of how important it is of how much is needed and also about how many people are affected then people aren't going to bother trying to uh, advocate for it Mm -hmm. because they either don't know about how important it is or for lack of better words they don't care because it's like well you know they can't be that bad or it can't be that many people or uh, or the thing of oh I knew somebody who had this and they were fine or uh, if you a lot of people I've noticed they form opinions about people that they don't know based off of entertainment like some people don't like this group of people but yet the only encounters they've had in those group of people is from TV sure. they've never actually met that person right. and for a lot of people the only References they have for somebody with autism is the Rain Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was another movie, uh, The account, uh with Ben Affleck. That was he was someone on the spectrum. He he was a little bit different. He was a uh, he was kind of like a hitman, <laughs> but but that was, that was something where it was like yeah he's he's good with numbers and he's this so he can really focus on killing people. But um, one positive one I've seen is something else Juanita likes that she's gotten into. Uh, what is, is it called The Good Doctor? It's about a young doctor who is autistic and he's, you know, doing going into the medical field and he is, you know, a, a pretty good doctor and the struggles that he had, that he goes through. uh There was this one episode where he did something and he got in trouble for it and it was something that I did think they kind of got right because just thinking about Daniel to where someone told him no and in his mind he's like if I just keep telling you this he's like I'm a doctor I want this I you know, that that would fix something but you know I think if more I'm I'm always a big advocate for representation I think that if there's more representation out there then people become more normalize with it. Mm -hmm. And if they see it, uh, there's a comedian I like, Dale Hughley. He says that people people only treat you a certain way if they don't think that you're a person like them. And I think once we get them to see that, you know, yes, they may have disabilities, but they're the same kid as your kid. You know, they just can't do some of the things that your kid can do, but they're the same type of kid. Mm -hmm. That if we get people to see that they're the same and that and also something that I've noticed to where us saying that they need help is not taking away anything from you, it's just saying they need just a little, they don't want a hand out, they just want a helping hand
1: Sure.
0: and I think that would go far in uh, people's perception and also of uh, uh making sure that it's it's at least in the atmosphere of things that's talked about, mm-hmm. so I yeah. think that would be really important
1: yeah, I agree there's a lot of you know we all uh we all kind of approach our we all approach life with a certain bias right it's the right. bias where however we were born, wherever we were born into family you know where we grew up, all of that. And so um, how media and, you know, what we're exposed to, um, like, I always find it very interesting to talk with people who um, uh, grew up with a military, in a military family where they lived, you know, all over the world, because their worldview is so completely different than mine, having (laughs) grown up in the States, in the Midwest, all of my life. Um, And so, you know, what we are exposed to, you're right, that's what then becomes kind of our expectation. And so, by getting those stereotypes kind of um, broken down in society so that we see people, all people together, right? right? And that our differences um, are, sorry, our similarities are so much greater than our differences you know um
0: it it can go really far in in helping yeah okay well i think i'm going to end it there at least i want to kind of i want to kind of pivot around back to something at least somewhat positive instead of ending it on oh yeah we don't have any money so at least (laughs) at least somewhat positive uh be right back with the end So thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you to my guests for taking the time out to um, talk about what she does and the importance of what she does and the different things. And hopefully for anybody who didn't know or wasn't even aware uh, of the issues or the, the work that her and so many people, so many dedicated people do uh, and how important it is. Um, Um, But yeah, uh, I appreciate you all for listening. Um, Is there any where they can reach you uh, social media wise or?
1: Yeah. Or are they um, depending on kind of circumstances and age of a a child or a loved one? um, Probably the best thing to do is just visit our website, which is www.slarc.com. and they can find um, phone numbers, people, um, but even just calling our switchboard, Alex is always very happy to help people connect to the right person in the agency.
0: Okay. Uh, Would you mind giving the email address again?
1: Uh, Sure. Uh, Mail or website?
0: Uh, Website.
1: Okay. It's www.s as in Sam, L as in Laura, A-R-C dot org.
0: Okay. Um, like I said, I want to say thank you once again for coming out and speaking with me and doing the interview. Uh, let me know what you guys think about it. Uh, if you have anybody that you know of that could use this resources, no matter where you are, uh, shout out to my international listeners, wherever you are, uh, anybody that's international, I've seen some people in Australia whatnot. Um, let me know how the resources work in, in your part of the world. Let me know. Um how that works out if you are even aware if they have services like this. Um, you can reach me on my Twitter, Bold Expressions at BLD Expressions. Once again, that is BLD Expressions. You can also shoot me an email at ctl6985 at gmail.com. Uh wherever you find this, uh, rate me five stars, please. I appreciate it. So that it go up there, people find it easier. Um, uh, once again, I appreciate everybody for listening, uh, and sharing and liking and reaching out to me, uh, have a good day, good morning, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. And as always, don't be so busy proving your point that you forget your purpose.